together now you guys are together no, right? no barry wouldn't let me but no, it's it's, no there <laughs> it's was fine. A, I, have, I have to get up at like 3 45 anyway so. it's oh, much okay. better yeah um just for everybody's fucking sanity it's just easier if we just do it like this for until after christmas when oh, yeah. fucking shit settles yeah. down well you know we booked this uh about a year ago wow and um we had planned on um having it be a big uh uh party and that i would fly into yeah we uh, have our oh boy, Hollywood. yeah that's right and uh unfortunately you know i was gonna bring my wife and we we're gonna celebrate my birthday uh down there and um and you would have show and i will tell you you would have had no problem getting on on standby getting on the plate uh for 100 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could have driven up and been like oh, we're ready we're getting there like yeah. here you go get on <laughs> Show up. Just Which seat? Pick Jonah. a seat. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Are you what guys are we here, ready? Uh, what are we here for? What are, I forgot. Not for this. God, not for this. <laughs> that's for sure. All right. Are we all ready? I'm ready. Hey, I was hoping that I could, as a special favor to me as a guest, since it is my 60th birthday coming up oh, this week, Christ. ask if I could do the intro to the show that Rob usually does. Ah, hey, it's, okay. sure. it's all right with me. Why not? Yeah. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of That Record Got Me. Hi, that's Barry Stock. And that's Rob Elba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, well, we've got, uh, we've, we I can try it again. We do that. I, well, to... no, no, yeah, I think that was fine. We, um... Diminishing uh, diminishing returns. Diminishing diminishing returns. There is a certain <laughs> Tonight Show, you know, you do it enough times and it's like... It is, but uh, but obviously, see, but it does, but Steve's got it in his, you know, in his head. He's got that intro, so he it's wants... It's iconic. To... True. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, I... that voice, uh, it's going to be amazing for you to believe that that was not just me <laughs> yeah. and Terry Stock. Wow. That was... <laughs> That was our Uncanny. Dear, Rich, like Rich Little. Uncanny. Our dear friend and a patron of the show, let's welcome again, uh, once again, Mr. Steve Michner Steve to the show. Thank you, gentlemen. There we go. Yeah. Uh, you know him, but you love him. You know him from Big Dipper. He's played in Volcano Suns. He played in Dump Trump. He's a, I would say you're a Facebook avant uh, a provocateur at yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little. He's got great stories, though. Oh, my God. The fucking cat story. The, the, exactly. Oh man, that was good. No, he does have really good. I'm spirit. glad you enjoyed and, that. Oh yeah. god, that was great. That was it was so, hard. Yeah. 
It was. And you yeah. knew. And you knew right from the beginning that it was going to go bad. You yeah. Knew why it, else but... would you tell a story like that? Unless there was, and you know, because as soon as you said you talked about the, you know, we're going to go get some dinner, and you said, I think we should put the cats in the cab, and she was like, No, they'll be fine. You know, it's that it's the, it's oh, that yeah. moment in the movie where everything right. changes. The music darkens. Yep. Um, all right. So, uh, yes. Speaking of patrons, Steve is a patron, and you. Too but if it was a, a movie, it would have been her kids, and they would have been in cages in the in the back mm-hmm. of the truck. Yeah, yeah. 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 that would be good. In the actual movie, <laughs> let's change it. Change it. For um, <laughs> all right. So, Steve is a patron of the show. You can become a patron too by going to patreon.com forward slash trgmh. Uh, and and Barry, you know, I was thinking this is we're doing this on the eve of Thanksgiving. It's a it's a That's night happy Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, everyone. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. And you know what, Barry, we've been doing we're coming on to three years. We're uh, pretty Barry, soon we're going to be pretty soon. Three years. Would you say you said forty eight episodes was a year, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, so we're coming on to uh, season three, and you know when we started this, we didn't know Barry. We didn't know who who would listen to it. We figured our friends maybe would listen, and then we realized that no, most of our Wait friends weren't actually listening to it. What's forty eight? <laughs> what's forty eight times three? One fifty two. One fifty two. All right. One fifty four. One fifty four. Ah. All right. Are you sure? No. He's wrong. 48, no, I'm wrong. <laughs> 48 <laughs> times 3 is 144. There you go. This is this is episode 1 of se- this is episode this is the first episode of season 4. This is episode 144. Oh, wow. I'm honored to be uh, kicking off season 4. It's 40 48 oh, times season three. 3. Season 3. No, no, dude. We this is <laughs> we've we've already done season 3. Oh, this is a really. Oh, that's I can't even wrap my head around that. It's insane. Yes, this is first episode of season four. Um, all right. So, what did what did you bring to the that record got me high table today? This is a real important record for you, right? Yes, it is. And um, I think Rob, do you share my love for this? It's uh, the Grand Illusion by Styx. Oh Christ! <laughs> I would. You know what? I I wish <laughs> so much that that's actually what we're doing. Mary, Mary I texted you an hour ago, and you when said, you're with "Oh wait, me, I'm smiling." Oh no, wait! You said no fucking way. Okay, never mind. We'll go back to the original. Idea. Yeah. What are we doing? We're going to do remember, the first. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, just remember that deep inside uh, we're all the same. Okay, just remember. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead. What are we doing? <laughs> Let's just hold that in our hearts as we go yeah. forward with the the first Roxy Music album. There you yeah. go. Uh, debut released in June 1972. So you were, let's see, you're turning 60. I can't do the math. <laughs> 11 and a half. You were 11. Yeah. I'm guessing you didn't, hear this, you didn't hear this until a little later. Yeah. No, right? This, uh, no, I, I was not that hip that I'm no Eric Drew Feldman. I was not. Uh, right. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Listening to this stuff. I was probably listening. To, I was actually looked up and saw, because I was probably listening to AM radio, and the number one song in the country when this the week this was released in America was Song Song Blue. Oh, right. Creeping at my pillow. Mac Davis? No, uh, Neil. Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond. Oh, okay. Oh, Neil Diamond, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably I was listening to a lot of crap if I was listening to anything at all. Yeah, but you know, we didn't know. We were kids. Yeah. It was, it was like, oh. We were kids. It's a lot of You like what you like. I loved um a blues that band Blue Swede, their cover of uh, I Hooked on a Feeling. 
which I think that was more Atlantic like '76. Yeah, it's a oh, Mac, yeah. it's a Mac Davis song, actually. Believe that's it or great. not, oh, that's a great cover, though. That is a great cover. Yeah. So when yeah, did no, you I... discover? All right. So when did you discover Roxy music, though? Do you remember like how old you were? Or oh yeah, yeah, I remember. Um, I you know I um, was a big fan of FM radio when I was in high school. So by the time I got to high school, which is like '76. I was listening to the local FM radio station here or there or other in Boston and they played uh, love is the drug. And then yeah. um, manifesto came out and I really loved manifesto um, had great pop hits on that uh, trash and angel eyes and dance away heartache. Mm-hmm. And right. I was a big fan of that and a big fan of uh, like the radio hits. Like I didn't, I don't, I don't know if I bought the album, but when flesh and blood came out, Right. That was a super important record to me. Um, it happened during a... Uh, do you guys know that record, Flesh and Blood? I don't really, actually. It's I sort of, of, I sort of I scored a skip between the, Siren and Avalon. There's sort of a okay. gap there for me. I don't know, not for any good reason, except that there is. Sure, yeah, it just that happens. And I've always... I've, I've stayed like you. Like I, I always knew them just from the, the FM hits, and, and I always thought they were okay. I never... This this may be kind of a hot take, but I was never a total <laughs> fan of Brian Ferry's voice, which I know would be shocking to some people. Yeah, I but understand. It, yeah, it's mm-hmm. always been a little too affected for me, uh, just for my own personal taste. And it, it definitely, I would say, it's even more affected on this first record uh, <laughs> yeah. than later. Yeah, but. But because Ferry, I was reading though, it's funny. He himself said of his singing on this record, he said, I, I was still trying to find my voice. I now right. think, and he said, I now think sometimes I'm singing too high, or I should have had another go at it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, he said that um, on the, let me see if I can find the quote. He said that he thinks the, ter- the record is terrible. Right. Well, ah! I think he likes, he doesn't like the production. It was produced by. Right. Doesn't like the production. Peter yeah. Doesn't Sinfield, like the uh, Who had, was King Crimson's lyricist and had recently left the band. Having right. Had a fallout with Robert Fripp. And, um, so Steve. Well, I got to so- give credit. I give credit where credit is due. A friend of mine turned me on to Roxy. Like I knew their songs, like right, I said, right, on the, right. from the radio, but a friend right. of mine who, uh, when I had my first job in Boston, my friend Joe, he was a huge Bowie fan, huge Roxy fan, huge Iggy fan, and he uh, schooled me. And he's like, "No, no, you can't. That stuff's crap. You need to go back and get all the Roxy records." And so the I went out. Dirtier stuff's all. the best. The classic record store employee the right. answer. And he uh, he turned me on to all this early stuff, which I didn't know about. And at first, I was like, oh "My God, this is like." This is not. <laughs> it's flesh and blood is kind of like yeah. Avalon, right? It's it's very different, and uh, but the um, you know obviously I fell in love with some of the songs, and then um, I kind of knew that I had to like it, and <laughs> I, I, I had to. Uh, I knew yeah. that it was like, yep. this is like okay, this is what you got to you know this is stuff. This there's something here. If people revere this album and these early albums as much as they do there's something here to listen to and to learn yeah. i wanted to i you know i was just moving in from the suburbs and i wanted to soak up everything right i learned my bowie i learned my iggy i learned my roxy i just i loved all these english bands you know it's just uh, i had a lot of catching up to do because i had spent my 
you know, well, high school yeah, years sure, listening to know, Sticks. Right. Everything, everybody's got that turning point that happens where you're like, oh, oh, I something just changed. And I talked about that in the, in the episode that'll be coming up, that'll be have already occurred, the Clash episode, you know. Everybody oh, has yeah, their that watershed. Was a, that was a total turning point, exactly. Yes. And um, for me, with Roxy, you know, of course, I, I knew love is the drug. And um, I had, had uh, I mean, For Your Pleasure, their second record, is really the one that I spent a lot of time with, which is the um, last one with Eno. And then, but frankly, which is an odd choice, my favorite Roxy record to actually sit down and listen to is... Um, is Viva, the live record. And mm. that's a loss leader. A lot of people don't put any, for whatever reason, don't dig that record or don't think it's very but worthy. <laughs> but it's got a version, the version of, um, it's got Pajama Rama, Out of the Blue, and the version uh-huh. of Bogus Man that's on there is insanely good. Um, right. Well, they were a great live band. Exactly. But it's after Eno, and so everything that happens after Eno for a certain crowd of people, there's a suspicion <laughs> that, well, you know, Eno after Eno left, because Eno's mm-hmm. the cool guy, and right, Brian Ferry's right. the, the suave, um, right. you know. But, even, but really, even from the start, I mean, as much as Eno had his stamp, especially on the, early, on the first two records, it just was Brian Ferry's band, right? I mean, at, at the end of the day. Yeah. 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 Yes, and uh, it was probably better that you know went his way because we got his albums and, exactly, uh, and yeah. the next three or four Roxy albums were brilliant too. You know, even though it didn't have the hipster element of you know, it, it was I, I love yeah. those records. Oh yeah, as they're much. Fa- they're fantastic, and there are certain points, certain tracks on those records that are just oh really God. incredible. Yeah, just really incredible, including I mean, this whole stuff putting... on Siren too. Which is, you know, before, oh, yeah, right yeah. up to Siren. I mean, Manifesto is a little weak, and Flesh and Blood and Avalon, that gets into their kind of. You know, it's different. 80, sort of pop, 80s pop territory. Very, right. Yes, very produced, Key, very lush. Keyboardy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these, so I would say these, this, this record, it's like, it, it, it's, it's pre punk, but it's a, a, a post rock, too. It's yeah. sort of like, I guess they would call it art rock. Art rock. The day they called it art, art rock. rock. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I think they, they really deserve the, the term art rock. And I think, you know, there probably were a few other bands that were called that before. But I think, um, you know, when you get into the backstory of Roxy and Ferry, mostly, I mean, art plays a huge role in uh, yeah. Um, yeah. the formation, uh, the, the, you know, the, the right. way the band works. And the yeah, and the lyrics, uh, uh, the songwriting, and and but one thing I did notice: this is the first. Like I said, I've always been a casual Roxy music band, and and a lot of these songs I knew as uh, covers because you know you know Steve mm. when you're young and you start seeing these bands, and and a lot of bands would do like really cool covers. So uh, remake. The first time I heard remake remodel was this local band radio. Berlin, like an early 80s. Oh, really? uh, South Florida is a band called Radio Berlin, and they used to cover it, but I thought it was their song. And I go, oh, that's a fucking great <laughs> song. And then, yeah, so uh, a lot of times I'd hear things and then realize later on it was a cover. But uh, one thing also I just want to mention for me, uh, the guitar player, Phil Manzanera, is kind of yeah. like a, a secret weapon, kind of oh, a yeah. secret weapon of the band. Yes. Because he Ooh, sounds... I have a different secret weapon, but we'll get okay, to that. Okay, but he... <laughs> But Barry, just his playing is so ahead of his time at this point. Yes. A decade. He's like yeah. a decade ahead of his time. Yeah. He combines sort of, sort of, um, he combines sort of, um, 
with that sort of really aggressive playing with a kind of sort of Robert Fripp lyricism in sort of his melodies and in the way he plays. And then right. he, he, that's why Eno used him on a lot of his solo material too, was because he was such an interesting combination of, of, of things right. he was playing. And also they had a, uh, in, in Andy McKay, they had a, like a horn player that was like a real important part of the band. Yeah, the horns, you know, the sound. Yeah. Yeah, so it's such a big part of well, the, especially this record. Yeah, sure. it gives them that. It gives them that fifties rock thing. I mean, Brian Ferry is a huge rock and roll fan. Like he's a yes. fan of early rock and roll. And you look at Brian Ferry and you listen to their music and you go, it does. You don't think, well, this guy is a huge. You know, he loves rock and roll. But if you listen to his solo records and listen to the covers he does. He's he's died and he's not screwing around. He really really yeah. loves that stuff. And so that he loves Dylan. Yeah, yeah, Dylan. He did a Dylan covers record that is actually really fantastic. Um, so, so Steve, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that your secret weapon is the uh, a bass player, Graham Simpson. <laughs> well, we'll talk about the bass player. Uh, no, okay, I, yeah, my, no. my secret weapon in this band is uh, Paul Thompson, the drummer. You know how I said before my thing was a hot take. That's a bad take. No, bad take. I don't think so. <laughs> no, no, no. Because a great because remember how you're talking yeah. about tell when you talked about tell, it's like that. Uh, your that drummer was holding the band together uh, with with tell, and I think that Paul Thompson does the same thing with. Disagree vehemently. Disagree because I'll tell oh, you good. what. Well, dis- we'll discuss it song by song. I mean, I could have done any rock to music record to be honest, like right up through Siren, and would have been happy. This is like choosing from among my children. Um, I love this record. It was the first one that um, I realized, wow, these guys are really, truly amazing. They're not just a good pop band. Um, but I could have done For Your Pleasure, Tree Life, or Stranded, or Siren. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's hard. And so we'll just set it up. So put me on the calendar for next December for, uh, okay. um, for Your Pleasure. All, All right. right. So let's- Listen to the first track. It sounds like a party. At the beginning, it sounds like a party. And I'm just going to say right away, it sounds like a cool party that probably none of us would ever be invited to. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, yeah, so it starts with these clinking glasses and, you know, yeah. uh, like a cocktail party or cabaret. Like exactly. You, you were definitely uh, not invited. Because Barry 
Barry plays the music over the phone when we're doing this, but he puts the actual music on later, so you wouldn't hear Steve in the background singing, singing. along with it. But, but yeah, oh, that's you re- can't. No, I know that. Yeah, if you want, they're not going to hear that, which might might be a good thing because Maybe. it may. It, 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 <laughs> But, well, uh, I got to tell you, the reason why I can sing along with this song is every band I've ever been in, I force them to play this song and oh. let me sing it. This is like, because this song is super easy to play yes. and sing along. Because um, it's just, what is it? Uh, e, G, yep. A, D, E. Something like that. Um, is, yeah, there a, is there a Big Dipper version of this? Like a, a bootleg Big Dipper Ooh, version of this? You know, I don't, think, I don't think that, uh, well, okay, let me backtrack. Every band before Big Dipper. I don't know why oh. I didn't make Big Dipper play it, but uh, Volcano Suns played it, and other bands that I was in played it. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, uh, because I just love this song, because you can sing it without having to sing. Yes. Right. <laughs> but I got to tell you, And the guitar I mean, player this, just gets to solo throughout, pretty much. Yes. Like, Phil except is just... For, yeah. He, he solos, except for when it gets to the solo part, and then he plays chords. Right. Which I love. Which and, I love. And there's a sax solo, which was... I think ripped off by Devo for one of their songs. There's this, the way, Devo definitely listened to a lot of Roxy music. Oh, yes. I agree. Oh, they did. And you know, real quick, you know who else listening to this, especially the first one, I realized, uh, Per Ubu. I hear a lot oh, yeah. of, like, I hear mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and I go, yeah. wow, they, yeah, like they had to be album. huge fans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that may be yeah. where the sax solo, who somebody actually just pretty much said, do a sax solo just like Andy McKay does on, on that song. And it's um, uh, and they do, and it's very familiar to me. But except tonight. All right. So what's well, this the song, uh, I mean, this what's song, this song to, about? Good. This song must have just like I mean, in 1972, it must have just sounded like a spaceship crashing onto Earth. If you right. heard this, and you brought yeah. this record home from that thing. I mean, this is like the most. I mean, it's just an explosion of. Uh, Right. Of noise. Well, do you think they heard? And, you think they had heard MC5? You think they heard the Stooges? You think they had heard like garage rock, like the Sonics and stuff that would have inspired that this kind of aggressive? I mean, there's a lot of uh, comparisons you can make with the Velvet. True, true. <laughs> yeah. Velvets, yeah, 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 yeah. Here, but um, I think that uh, you know the song is about a you know there's. It's, a girl he saw in a car and he started following her in the car and he um, uh, the the tagline is CPL5938 which is the the girl's um, license plate number yeah and uh, I, and it's the only real hook in the law in the song right right it's the only right, real until I read about part. that I always assumed that he was they were riffing on that George Lucas like film THX one one three eight. Oh, right, right. That it was like you know that was some futuristic. I always thought too that it was like some sci-fi thing. I didn't realize till now doing the homework that it was an actual just a car uh, license plate. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a great. I love the message of the song. It's we've all lived this. It's kind of like one of those like kind of mix uh, mist. Yeah, uh, mist things. And, you know they'd have in the the, the uh, back of the weekly papers in Boston. It's like oh, saw yeah. you on the train. Saw you on the train. Which right. never, yeah. nobody ever connects through those. I don't think. <laughs> and then, and then um, it, it has that rock and roll, that real rock and roll thing at the end, where everyone gets a little solo thing at the end, which right. is cool. Because it's like they're, it's like they're digging into it, and they're kind of 
sending it up at the same time. You know, that's what it's. Yes, yeah. and I do think it was a send up. Uh, I saw some review of this record that compared it to the Bonzo Dog uh, Doodah Band. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They yeah. do a they do a song that's called a "Delicious Hot Disgusting Cold," <laughs> which was a parody of modern jazz, where the song starts and everyone is just soloing. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the thing is, is going forward, seeing this is the first song on the first Rocky Music record. There's a lot of Brian Ferry songs about women, and <laughs> all of them are women that are way out of our league, and only slightly in his league. They come, they he's like at the bottom edge of what they'll accept. That's my right. theory of the Brian Ferry songwriting, is that it's a woman that's <laughs> sort of, you know deigned to have an affair with the rock and roll singer but she's iffy uh right right yeah she's gonna eventually go back to her right her normal life well, that, you know fairy yeah, came out of the came out of the um uh coal mining oh yeah world of newcastle and he oh, yeah. was a working class totally guy as a as a young boy their you know family was relatively poor and and in the British caste system, I mean, that's like, you know, the idea that this guy would then, yes, you know, rise in the aristocracy was unheard of at the time in the, in the 50s. But now. But he managed to do it. He did. <laughs> and he did it by aping the. The, the traditions the, you know, of the, which is yeah. what Brian Eno found, I think, repellent. Uh, about Brian Ferry and enough that he <laughs> wrote a song about him called um, Dead Finks Don't Talk. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right uh, on our previous episode. All oh, right. cheeky, so, cheeky. That's a great... <laughs> so, Steve, there's a, a, there's, you had something else you wanted to play from this track, as I recall. Oh, yeah, I think the solo part is essential to play. Uh, there's a little clip where they each, where it breaks down, they stop, and they each get to do, like, a little solo. All right, let's have, a, let's have a listen uh, to that real quick. Worth listening to. Trading fours, and yes, there's some, as is noted in the uh, Wikipedia entry, there's some <laughs> quotes in there from uh, 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 paperback writer and a oh, day tripper. Oh, day tripper, day right? Tripper, yeah. Day tripper. Day yeah, so the uh, bass player plays day tripper. Eddie Cochran, yes, uh, summertime blues. Um, yeah, so definitely, uh, yeah, they're definitely sending the whole thing. Everyone plays the part. Right, they sending play, it up. I, do they? Um, does the sax player play? Um, 
I was told the sax player plays a quote from Ride of the Valkyries by Wagner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you hear Fairy, like you guys know Bowie, right? I mean, you know oh, that, the Bowie catalog, right? When you hear Fairy play like that, don't you think that that pre-dated yeah. uh, like the Mike Gosson on Aladdin insane? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, to me, like uh, Fairy's playing on this is like Mike, Mike Gosson. I, I swear it was was listening to uh, well to Bowie this and, you know Bowie always had his ear to the ground and um yes. his his bag open so anything could fall into it <laughs> right. and definitely um, things fell into it from this for sure right um, well I gotta tell you I mean one thing about the whole album and when you talked about Manzanera and I just gotta give a, a moment to David O'List so um which harkens back to some of your other uh, episodes. David O. List was the guitarist who predated Phil Manzanera in the band. Yeah. And he left right before the recording of the album. And O. List had been in The Nice. Oh. And uh, also had played a little bit in Jethro Tull around the same, uh, right before he joined Roxy. Well, oh, I think wow. it's an, before we move on to Lady Tron, I will mention, and this is the most bizarre fact that is going to be on this entire episode, I guarantee you mm-hmm. 100%. Yes, sir. That a gentleman who lives in Hollywood, Florida, and who repairs guitars, and Rob and I, Rob probably knows who he is, and he just worked on my bass. His name is Spencer Mallinson. Spencer Mallinson uh, was very briefly in the early Roxy Music. He was living in London. Really? And he was, he probably predates the guy from The Nice, but if you do a Google search... Spencer told me this story, and I was like, no way. And then I looked it up. So he played, what did he play? He's a guitar player. And so very briefly, he was, you know, I think they went through some people until they found, of course, the perfect person. (laughs) Um, And also missing this record was they did not have a record contract when this uh, album was being recorded. Um, And the money was being put up by EG, who ended up being their label. But right. they spent like five thousand pounds, which was not chump change, recording this record with right. no deal. Oh, and I, and I also read, interesting enough, uh, Chris Blackwell almost passed on them too. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, he did. Yeah. Something uh, got them over the uh, got them over the uh, yeah. Hurdle. Well, apparently he liked uh, Brian Ferry as a singer more than he liked me as a singer. So uh, oh. Chris Blackwell definitely passed on me. Uh. Um, <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's get to song number two. Let's listen to the uh, the beautiful Lady Tron. You've got me, girl, on the run around, run around, got me all around town. You've got me, girl, on the run around, and it's getting me down. So that little bit there is yeah. straight off the first King Crimson record. 
the little break there. With the I knew King Whoa. Crimson was going to come in. Yeah, the, the, I'm not, I don't have to hedge with this one. It's um, with the oboe. Is, is that yeah, what that is? is yeah, that an and oboe? the Mellotron yeah. is, uh, and but Sinfield producing. So right. it's, you're not going to escape that. The Crimson influence, of course. <laughs> what happens, oddly enough, is the Crimson influence diminishes as the Roxy records go over time. And actually, sure. Crimson's last album before Fripp took a hiatus was an album called Red. And there's a distinct Roxy music sheen on some of the tracks on that. So uh, they, well, the cross-pollination. Uh, full circle. Well, after Ferry moved to London, he left Newcastle and left college and moved down to uh, or graduated college he moved to London in, with the idea of becoming a musician and he auditioned for King Crimson right as their vocalist um, obviously not the right vocalist for King Crimson you know he he's too much personality basically <laughs> yeah. you know yeah Sinfield was not crazy about the idea and blackballed him but um, but it did get him the uh, EG uh, right. management contract that's which, right which uh, helped so, yeah. Um, yeah, this is a, a very interesting song. Like, when you hear the first part of it there, uh, it's kind of a normal type yeah. of song. Yeah, it's got a classic uh, rock por- chord progression, you know. Right. Why is, he, why is he pronouncing the – why is he singing like that, though? Like, what he's is he finding <laughs> his voice. It would have I mean, been, it would have been better if he wasn't – it would have been better if he wasn't double-tracked, too. Um, and oh, the double tracking just sort of oh, sort of emphasizes the strangeness of his vocal on the track. Yeah, which is I mean, it is a great it's a great song and it's so cool. That's the thing that's so uh, it's almost charming about this album in its uh, quirkiness and that it's still yeah. you know it's got these great songs and they stick in your head, but they're also very strange and yeah. quirky. You yeah. know? Yeah. Well, I love the touch of the castanets on this. It's got yeah. a little underneath, and uh, we. Skip the intro because it's long, um, and uh, we wanted to get to the song part of it. But it's beautiful, uh, treated oboe part by um, uh, that uh, Andy Mackay plays, and uh, Eno treated it. And that's what he did a lot during this record: is that he would take the recording of the guitar or the oboe or the saxophone, and he would run it through his. Uh, what was the synth? The v- VSC three. The VSC three. Okay, so like an early, early synth. Yep. Yep. Ah, okay, okay. And so there's uh, a steep, but, you, once again, you had a, a, there's a second portion of this you wanted to highlight. You oh, want to yeah, talk about that? Yeah, like, like to me, okay, the interesting thing about the songs and the reason why I asked you guys to do this is these songs don't run in a linear necessarily, some of them do, but most of them don't run in a linear fashion. They have these parts that are like seemingly disjointed. And to me, that's one of the greatest charms of the record is that they didn't give a fuck. They were just like, well, we have this part and we have this part and we're putting them together. And um, <laughs> yes, this part I really like because uh, um, this is on the Lady Tron. Oh, yeah, some nice uh, synth work and guitar work and oboe work. This show kind of shows off uh, Eno um, and his treatments. All right, let's give Eno his, his 15 minutes of fame. Yeah.
some very cool. odd, very odd noises, courtesy of Brian Eno. This album deserves a. You, you just can't like if you were playing like a, a Buzzcocks record or something like a great Buzzcocks. Record, right. I mean, they pretty much get it, get the work yeah. done by the first yeah. verse and chord. You know what's okay. going on. These guys are different, and this is what's interesting about this record. And when I talked about art from uh, the standpoint of them being artists, so when Ferry was at uh, Newcastle University, he studied under uh, a collage artist named uh, Richard Hamilton. And this guy was a very uh, famous and influential uh, artist at the time. He was kind of a pop artist, kind of a minimalist. Right. And he was a student of Duchamp. Right. And he brought, like, so... Whereas art school before this was like, you know, normally they would just teach you the classics and how to draw and stuff. This guy was bringing Duchamp into the classroom and in these concepts that, yeah. you know, were blowing the minds of these guys. And Ferry and a lot of his classmates went on to become, under the influence of this guy, to become very famous uh, artists and musicians. But the, um, I think the lesson that Ferry picked up is just this idea of putting disparate elements together. Yeah. And, and doing it in a song. So he was taking his art, his art influence, and he was putting it into music. And so you have these songs where, you know, whereas normal people would be like, you know, when, when I wrote a song, it would you know, keep it a little bit thematic. And here, <laughs> as you see here, and other songs, especially the next song, like if there's something, it's like, right. it's three different songs. And, uh, tell me the name, I, I, I did do the, re- do the reading, but tell me, say the name of the, the uh, artist again. Oh, sure. Richard Hamilton. Richard Hamilton referred to Brian Ferry as his greatest creation. Hamilton was his art teacher for a year up at the college, and yeah. um, uh, he kind of pissed uh, Hamilton off because he was doing his art, but he was also in a, in a band. Uh, he played in kind of a, um, sounds like he played in kind of a uh, stack style band he was mm-hmm. a vocalist which sure. some people say he was kicked out of mm. but uh, we'll never well, just know just for the record i love that artist duchamp he's one of my favorites duchamp <laughs> yeah down in florida he's big in florida <laughs> he is people love his yes. stuff it's in the you know you go down to the shops on the beach and they have postcards of that duchamp stuff <laughs> But the, the Lady Tron, the song Lady Tron, um, I think this was where the sci-fi element comes in. Because if you look at pictures of them playing, they look like a sci-fi creation. Yes. Yeah, there's... I mean, a, they all um, look like... Uh, one of the best early things I ever heard by Roxy was this. Somebody had a bootleg tape or... it was. It's a live on the BBC or it's a Peel recording from very mm-hmm. early Roxy. And it is, it is. Maybe it's a beat club thing. It's, it's easy to find. Roxy Music Live '72, and it is. They kick ass. It's, it's, yeah. It's very, um, you know, it's very punk rock in its energy. Uh, they are, they are not, um, prog rock. You know, they're not doing the um, reserved thing. They're definitely right. a rock right. and roll band. Yeah, and they, yeah. This record was reissued, uh, re-released in uh, a few years ago, and it was a major box set with like every single conceivable yeah. outtake and alternative version and live stuff and John Peel sessions with the live stuff, which you you can find a little bit of it on iTunes. They excerpted it, and uh, I was listening to some of it, and the, the live versions of these songs are are just as awesome. And like I said, even harder rock and yeah. For I sure, think. yeah. All right. 
Right. If there is something. Part one. Yeah, so this is the kind of the, the country part, the country song. Yeah. What are those? Um, what are those guitar parts called? They're like chromatics. Yeah. Well, they're just like it's a it's a it's a classic. Uh, um, I don't even know what they're called. I know exactly how to do them. You play the thirds of a chord sequence of a, of a major thing working your way down, or a you know mm-hmm. a dominant seventh. Um, but what I really wanted to say was Brian Ferry's also a big Rolling Stones fan. And mm-hmm. if you sub in Mick Jagger's voice singing this, you gotta go ah, aha! There, there it is. Um, exile. It sounds like something that could be on Exile it, on Main Street or exile something. Exile or, yeah, or yeah, your Beggar's does. Banquet or, or, or right, or, or, right, or, or, right, right. Yeah. For and speaking sure. of covers, this song was covered by Tin Machine later on. Right. The um, probably underrated, in my estimation, Tin Machine. Um, they were at the, they came around sort of at the wrong time. Um, yes. Bowie, I, I mean, Bo, Bowie was a big fan of Sonic Youth and of Dinosaur Jr., and it was sort of his take on that. But people weren't buying it at the time. Buying, yeah, I think they weren't buying Bowie's take up. on it. They weren't buying Bowie's take right, on it. Anymore. Right. Yeah, my neighbor was a guitarist at the time. I was living in San Francisco. Your Joe Gore was in that band. <laughs> All right, oh, okay. so um, what? Uh, there you go. Okay. What about the what, what? What's the next segment of is if there's something? Oh, right? so the, so the second part uh, goes into um, this like completely overwrought uh, uh, vocal. To me, this is hilarious. This is a, it's got to be a parody. It's it's Ferry's most over the top vocal of any vocal I think that he recorded. Um, the middle part, but it just—I mean, listen. Imagine we—we we just heard this like country thing, and now we go into this like uh, Germanic, <laughs> Wagnerian, <laughs> Wagnerian thing. Here we go. Yeah. Of course, Ferry, the the thing to know about it is that Ferry, (laughs) Brian Ferry, he makes all these protestations of, I would do anything for you, walk a thousand miles, I would put roses around our door, I would sit in the garden growing potatoes by the score. No, he wouldn't. (laughs) He's just trying to get her in bed. He's just, no, he just wants to sleep with her. So it's, it's always about... That ferry is, you know. Would he drive her? Uh, would he drive her to San Francisco 
in his truck though, and, oh. and kill one of her cats. Yeah. Well, you know, nothing about cats in here. No. But I love the last line: the p- growing potatoes by the by score. The score. I mean, even by the end, you're like, what the what? hell no, is that? No, right, mean? yes. He's, he's domestic. His his vision of domestic bliss <laughs> from, right, right. W- you know, working class whales. He's not going to grow any potatoes. He's no. not going to get his hands dirty no. at this point. No. He wants to go on the fox hunt, ride the horse. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the most, like I said, it's overwrought. It's melodramatic. It's solemn and silly at the same time. And the bleeding, he's like, I would swim all the oceans. Yeah. Yes, he's the, the vibrato on this one. On this, on this record is especially um, off the chain. Off the chain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. So there's a third section you wanted to play. Um, so this song, I read some. You know, went into the lyrics thing, genius lyric, or whatever. And somebody said this song has about the three parts of life. So the first part, the youth part, ah. and uh, you know, looking around and trying to find something, and then this, I see. Uh, the middle part I that see. We just I see about where domestic, I absolutely you know, see that. And now play this part, and this part is about kind of looking. You're in old age, and you're looking, looking back. back. All right. Melancholy sets in. The looking back on the looking back on the uh, um, well, when he shake your hair, hair girl with your ponytail, takes me right back when you were young. So that's a great that's a great visual. Uh, yeah, sets that up. And he, you know, because Ferry, of course, is how old is he at this point? Twenty. Twenty. He's twenty seven. Oh, twenty seven. So he's actually a he's little actually older, kind of old for little, a pop star. Yeah. A little bit, but not old enough to really be this character he's 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 uh <laughs> right. writing about yeah but it's and to me so this song is is kind of a showpiece of the record i think because the three parts kind of disparate i mean if you took them apart musically they don't really oh, fit yeah. together not so much they're you know the same key but they um are. I, and I, I don't know I, keys. I hate to do this to you, but there's a, there's another <laughs> band that had that penchant for tossing different pieces, musical pieces together in a song, uh-huh, uh-huh, and um, uh-huh. it, Black Sabbath did that a lot, especially uh-huh, on their early records, where you'd go, "Wait, what are they doing now?" Like they would be like, right. "Okay, we've got these riffs, and we need to make a song," and then there wouldn't necessarily be any um, overarching concept it was just like okay well this this now we got this it's going to go in here and okay right, well right. that's it that's cool. you know yeah. there we go i think roxy yeah, may have okay. had more pretensions towards a, a a suite or a um you know a uh, a, um, a complete a themed, uh, a theme yeah. exactly right right well i think that i mean we got we're three songs in and we kind of 
the sense of what Roxy's going to do here. Is like the first song is just like a sonic chunk of yep. sound. With yeah, it's very simple. Yeah, but there's a lot going on. Well, there's a template here for a lot of what Roxy does in the future in the Brian sort of the Brian Ferry kinds of songs that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go, um, if you go from um, if there's something. If you go from there and you just you go forward to um, say Mother of Pearl, where yes. the, he is doing this litany of things and talking about this woman. Um, actually, he's gotten. I think he, from my perspective, he's gotten kind of better at it uh, by that point. That's one of my favorite, absolute favorite. Yeah, it's songs. such a beautiful song. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it's an incredible song, and um, it's also. Uh, it's ripped off from um, <laughs> Sympathy for the Devil. So, uh-huh. yeah, it's basically their version. Of, it's, Bra- it's Brian Ferry's version of Sympathy for the Devil. Um, I figured that out a while back because I, I was in a band. I said, just play Sympathy for the Devil, and I'm going to sing these lyrics <laughs> over it. And it, and it works. <laughs> well, that's true. It's like, you know, there's, there's like those three chords where you can sing like half the pop songs. And hey, Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I may have to actually. I may have to get dressed and like go to work immediately. Like when we're done with this episode, I may have to leave for work yeah. before we're actually done with it. You do what you I am rushing do. through this. I would still be on remake remodel. Oh, yeah, I know. All right, we got to figure out a play to, way to play Virginia Plain. Give me a second. interesting in that it was not included in the original British version of the album. I happen to have the American version and got used to having the uh, non-LP sing Virginia playing here in the four spot. And um, But to British ears, uh, this was a standalone single that was released about a month after the album came out and actually did better than the album and really is what uh, ended up catapulting them into stardom in... Uh, in England, because they went on top of the pops and played this, and the song shot up to number four. And it's just a great one, four, five pop song with all sorts of weird shit going on. Yep. And it's got a great, uh, great guitar solo by Phil Manzanera, which uh, 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 purportedly was totally improvised right yeah. at the recording. He just improvised. <laughs> Pretty amazing. And the fact that the, the song has no chorus. It has no real form. Right. And, and it only says the title of it right at the end of the song. <laughs> Which is totally brilliant. Um, but it has such great lyrics. I mean, it's kind of an absurdist song. Uh, but, uh, but the first chorus, I mean, the first verse, uh, the first set of lyrics, whatever it is, um, I think speaks to their uh, ambition. And it's kind of funny because the, the lyrics said, make me a deal and make it straight, all signed and sealed, I'll take it. To Robert E. Lee, I'll show it. And Robert uh, Lee was their lawyer, their <laughs> business lawyer. 
Yeah. Not, okay. not the not the general. Not the general. Uh, not the person. Who, not the person whose junior high school I went to, Robert E. Lee Junior High School. Yeah, not a different guy. Yeah, it's probably not the Roxy Music lawyer. Probably not. Um, why would says, they name? Hope and pray. Why would they he name a junior blow. high school after Robert E. Lee? In Orlando, dude. It's <laughs> yeah, in Orlando. That's fucked up. All right, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> but he says, I hope and pray he don't blow it because we've been around a long time just try, try, trying to make the big time. Which is absolute bullshit because one of the things about Roxy Music and one of the things that actually annoyed some people back in the day was they didn't uh, try for a long time. They were really kind of a... They were a calculated band. They didn't do like what a lot of bands did, which is, you know, start playing in the clubs and work their way up and, you know, spend years on the road and build up an audience. They really just kind of put themselves together and they had only played a handful of gigs by the time their record came out. So this idea that, you know, that they've been trying to make it for so long is, is kind of a, a fallacy. Yes. And you had a second, yeah. you had a second portion of the song you wanted to highlight, which I have managed to discover, uh, on oh, my, okay. in my machine here. The solo, it's probably the Eno solo, which, uh, I think this is why it was a hit because in 1972, the sound of this synthesizer coming out of your, uh, radio is probably a very, yes. Uh, so let's listen to that little, that little bit. So you know who else used a VSC three to good effect uh, with Pete Townsend on uh, who's next? And so oh, is those, that that sound? I, the, yeah, that's sort of that sequenced little um, ditty thing that was um, Bob O'Reilly and won't get fooled yeah, again. Yeah. Those are uh, definitely in there. Oh, interesting! It sounds so different in Eno's hands. He of course, a... it does. Yeah, right. <laughs> Because Eno was not a musician. He famously claims to not be a musician. At this point, I think that's a claim that can be dis- dispensed with, considering the At number of point, records. Though. Yes. Back right. then. At this point in his career. Yeah. It was um, an, an affectation. Um, he could play piano, obviously, right. and guitar. Right. Was he, he wasn't yeah. a skilled musician. He was a classically right. trained musician. Well, he said he was, uh, he was more interested in judgment over skill. His uh, quote. Oh, okay. The guy's a quote machine. Yes. But the song is full of Amer- references to America and um, popular culture and uh, Warhol. Uh, and it ends uh, abruptly. The song ends abruptly. Yeah. What's her name? Virginia Plain. And that's it. <laughs> so, yeah, let's take a little break. We'll be back with Steve Michener talking about Roxy Music. We'll be back in a minute.
is this tomorrow. The sole commercial sponsor of That Record Got Me High consists entirely of the thoughts that were had by Mr. Ed, the famous talking horse, during the course of his extraordinary television series which aired from January 1961 to February 1966. Mr. Ed was then recruited into the Apollo program and piloted the first horse trailer to the moon. He exited the vehicle, showed his teeth, win it, and took a giant dump for all mankind. On the cold, gray lunar surface, he then trotted over the black, sharp horizon and was never seen again. Learn more all true historical facts at isthistomorrow.com. Learn more government secrets at isthistomorrow.com. Find out whether Mr. Red was a Soviet spy at isthistomorrow.com. You don't, you like Manzanero, but so here's the thing about Manzanero, like that I didn't say. So David O'List was the guitarist right before the record came out, and he uh, he left because he got into an argument with the drummer. But O'List, so he was kind of a prima donna when he came on board. He was he considered himself to not auditioning, but he was auditioning the band because he because he had come from the Nice and he was kind of a big shot. Because uh, back then, if you had a record deal, you were like royalty. And then when you came into a new band, you were like the king until. So Olis, but Olis claims that not only did he write half these songs, and Ferry didn't credit him, but he also claims that Manzanera copied him note for note on the first album. Uh, I really find that hard. Very to difficult to believe. Yeah. Yeah. But Manzanera, I mean, here's the thing: it's like all these guys, like. Uh, Andy Mackay was a trained, kind of a classical oboe saxophonist. Uh, but Manzanera was just kind of a, you know, pickup guitar player. He's good. Uh, but his whole, his whole emphasis was on, like, uh, Latin rhythms, because his mother was um, Colombian. You know his real name, right? Oh. He yeah, has a I... very British name. His last name is, his, he just adopted that as a stage name. It's his mom's uh, his mom is from Colombia, South, South America. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, Ferry, of course, was an untrained musician. Uh, Eno was an untrained musician back then. So, um, But Paul Thompson, drummer, was an uh, experienced drummer. He played in a few bands. And I think he kicks ass on this album. I love Paul Thompson. Well, here, okay, here's my thing. Uh, technically, I'm not saying technically he's a bad drummer, but we've, we've had this discussion a lot about drummers. Some drummers play a certain way where they'll play very precise and very martial and then some drummers have a swing and he right, doesn't right. he Peter doesn't Prescott have versus. exactly <laughs> yeah which i discussed with peter prescott and he agreed yeah that he's of the more and so this this guy doesn't have that swing he does have more of that of that martial and uh playing right uh, on the beat sometimes so it's just style i guess it's just a a stylistic thing that uh that uh, not necessarily that um that it's bad or that it, you know that uh it's just yeah like i said it's just a stylistic thing that i was uh that i was sure. thinking of all I right so i guess i guess rockers. i guess we're back 
<laughs> we're back. Oh yeah. Well, you said I thought you you always say you tape everything. So I do. So I'll just have to <laughs> okay. go back and you know. Yeah. Well, but the bass player, me. the bass player is great. I le- this guy only lasted as long as this album, and then he left, and he actually became like a Sufi and moved to India. I thought, I thought so. I thought so. Graham Simpson, you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and Rick Kenton plays on um, the single, but yeah, okay. Graham Simpson is great. He's like high up on the neck, and uh, yeah. there's some other parts in here. I, I really like his playing. Um, well, you have to for everything that's going on. You ha- kind of have to have a a solid rhythm section for this, or else it just wouldn't work at all. So you do yes. have to have that solid uh, that rhythm section holding things uh, together when the other guys are just going all over the place. Um, I think he really uh, the bass player really shines uh, on this next song, Two HB. Yes, which which I never you know now I I discovered that it's short for two. Humphrey Bogart, apparently. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was to Hugo Burnham. <laughs> well, it's it's also a, a play on uh, the pencil. Like I'm holding a pencil right now, my favorite pencil, uh, a German oh, pencil, right, which right, is right. two HB. There you but go. It is, but it is a uh, uh, to Humphrey a, Bogart. A tribute to Humphrey Bogart. Yes. All right. Let's listen to it. Two HB. Oh, I was moved by a scream. you kid he makes it plain who the hb is <laughs> yeah and, and i would argue that that is the first true rock and roll pop music chorus on the entire record yeah oh, right, yeah right, it yeah. is yes and this is there's um again this is a template for a kind of roxy music song that fairy would write again in the future um he has a oh yeah he has a he has a certain number of things that he does and this this song is a template for a, a, a lot of other different Roxy and Brian Ferry solo tunes. Um, and again, it's a it's a even though he's in a character, it's a woman, and there's a there's a melancholy romantic interest at work here, and that's his that's yeah. just his thing. He's not writing about you know politics. Well, my favorite line is the. Uh uh, into the second verse is but finding not keeping's the lesson and he's uh, a hopeless romantic he is a hopeless romantic yeah. i think he much is like, yeah, uh, which is why much like, which steve, is why he, like steve mitchner <laughs> well i was gonna say like when uh, he's I've not as hopeless to, as steve so let's just be clear <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know have you read it in his history uh, of loves and loves and love loss yeah pretty hopeless um, but sure. no my wife has been my wife has uh, been forced to listen to a lot of this record i've played it um dozens of times is an uh, under exaggeration 
And she said, she said, uh, she said, this well, he's you know his voice, Fairy's voice, kind of you know, she loves the, the band, but she, Fairy's voice gets on her nerves. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm not but the only one. He, it's the Bob, kind, it's the Bob Dylan kinda, problem. He kind of reminds. He said he, he kind of reminds me of uh, Bid from the Monochrome Set. <laughs> well. Oh. Like, Okay, yeah, I can hear that. I can yeah. And I also, and to also pull in the, the, the other uh, record that I covered here, there's a romanticism that uh, Robert Forster from the Go Between exactly. uses a lot in his songs, which is yes. taken that's from the wheel, That's your wheelhouse. It that's is. a Steve Mitchner. I mean, honest Steve to God, it's like wheelhouse. I could listen. I, you know, this whole thing got me on a, a Roxy Jag, and I can listen to Roxy music constantly. And uh, and uh, this song. You can, you know, what happened is like Ferry had moved to London. He was lonely. He went to the movies. He saw Casablanca. Oh sure, right. And wrote right, this right. song, and, of course. and that was like my whole life in the early '80s was going to see. Uh, you know, uh, I didn't really have a lot of friends because I just moved to the city. I was uh, alone, desperately alone. But I would go to the movies, and we had great movie theaters in Boston and repertory theaters, and I saw Casablanca. Yeah, those theaters the like uh, Paul Rubens went to in uh, in, in uh, yeah, Tampa. Tampa. Like yeah. <laughs> He was lonely. He was lonely. He was lonely. Too. <laughs> All right, officer, so I was lonely. Was, is, just a historic note: this uh, people think this might be the first song that uh, he ever wrote. Oh, two oh, HP. Wow. Ah, okay. Brian Fair. Yeah. What about and the chorus? That yeah. sax solo in the chorus, which we didn't hear. Uh, oh yes, and he uh, and he's playing a little bit of "As Time Goes By." With this yeah, very, uh, cool. yeah, but yeah, Eno, of course, mixed uh, messed it up so that they wouldn't have to pay royalties. <laughs> Ah, right, there right, right. It's important. there. You could still. It's there, though. You could still hear it. All right. So we flipped. We flipped the record over, and now we get another. You mentioned uh, that other song that it's in part, but this song also is in at least three. It, there's at least three parts to it. Right. And but here's it. This is interesting. They call it a medley. What the hell were the other songs? I know. I know. Right. right. What is the Bob? Song? Well, they call it the Bob, and the Bob stands for what? What does the Bob stand for? The Battle of Britain. That's it. Battle of Britain. Let's listen to the Bob. Boating opening, mm. and then it sounds it gets, like a, is it kind of kraut rocky? I mean, to me, it sounds kind of kraut rocky. Um, something. I mean, basically, if they're if it's kraut rocky, they're inventing it because you know seventy two. When is that? When's the first kraut rock stuff? The can the can? They wouldn't have probably been aware of the can. I mean, maybe they were. Yeah, but, I think he just likes that kind of cabaret. I mean, yeah, this, this could yeah, have been sung by yeah, Marlena yeah. Dietrich. You know, to me, it sounds yes. 
Like there's not a Sturm and Drong. Look at Steve throwing out the Marlene and Dietrich. Sturm you can tell Drong. you're a, a turning 60, Steve. Yeah, right. <laughs> Probably the first mention of Marlene and Dietrich on your show. Probably. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, yeah, but it, it, this is actually a really cool song. Just has, so, like I said, it has so many different moods that it changes into. It keeps changing directions, and it's very cinematic. You know, very uh, dramatic yes. and cinematic. Yeah. yeah, I think he was trying to summon up the feeling of the uh, uh, World War II in in England. Mm. Right, right. Which uh, he was a, but, I mean, he would have, he was a child. Uh, what, what, what oh, was he, he was born in '45. So yeah, he's he was born, born right, right at the, the end. end. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And it's probably romanticizing it. But it goes from this into like this gunfire, kind of like this uh, part with gunfire and oboe, which, you know, that, like the, was 72 pop song. Is that the second portion of the... Uh, um... Right. But then it goes into this other part, um, which to me doesn't belong. And I guess this is the medley part. So this is the second section of the thing. If you... If maestro... <laughs> And a nice uh, Phil Manzanera solo to boot. Yeah, I'm going to give you a clue where that, where that guitar solo originates. That's a Jimmy Page special right there. Somebody's been listening to Led Zeppelin. It's got that. They, they did like Led Zeppelin. They did appreciate Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that yeah. That did, that did sound like Jimmy Page. You're <laughs> absolutely correct. It did. And then who, uh, which guy in um, in Led Zeppelin played the oboe? John Paul Jonesy, right? No. If anybody well, yeah, played it, it was Jones. In that band. Yeah, he sure. really oh, was. Totally. He, he yeah. probably could. Yeah, he played everything, yeah. man. Yeah, um, I love the fact that it has oboe on the record. I mean, to me, this is like the yeah. key element of this thing because it's a, a, a instrument that I had never really heard that much before. It's, but it's very, yeah, it's very fitting for a lot of their songs. Just the mood, the mood it sets is probably it's the only thing that could that could make that mood. So it's, it's right. very another effective. band that has. An oboe player is go betweens. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, like that. yeah, and then this song has a big tympanic ending, a big yeah. orchestral yes. ending, yeah. which is really cool. Um, the original drummer who probably helped write this song was a, a symphonic tympanist. Ah, ah. that explains that. Before Paul Thompson, and he probably wrote that part, and they decided to keep it. Yeah. All right, so now this next one, I feel this one is it varies at his enigmatic, creepy, slightly creepy best uh, on this one here. <laughs> Let's listen to a little bit of Chance Meeting. I never thought I'd see you again. Where have you been until now? Well, how are you? How have you 
You know who uh, listened to that song a lot is going to be um, somebody from Wire because that vibe appears mm. on 154. There's a um, there's a track on 154 that feels exactly like this track. And uh, yeah. uh, that's definitely another in art there. school band. Art school yeah, band for sure. That. Oh yeah, yeah. I could see, you could draw a straight line. I'm yeah. sure from Roxy right. Music to Wire. Definitely. But this is kind of a traditional piano song, except for the you know, background atmosphere. But it has that fairy. It has. It's another one of those things where you go, okay, fairy's going to take this idea and that that creepy. Um, what's the That's song? That's what I said. Yeah, creepy. The yeah. Song about creepy. the doll. Um, uh, every dream home a heartache. Every dream home a heartache. Uh, mm-hmm. That same idea where it's just him with that beautiful voice saying something that's slightly not right. Yeah, saw you, <laughs> saw you, saw you. It seems like yesterday when I first saw you in your red dress smile. How could I forget that day? I know that time spent well is so rare. Yeah, it's very like there's there's stuff bumbling underneath that he's not saying but that uh, right. yeah 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 there's no chorus again no chorus and uh it just kind of dissolves into um right atmospherics right. Uh, but it's pretty melody i mean it's i it think is. it's uh it's you know i think it's interesting i tell at this point that we're inside two and there hasn't been any real like straight ahead rockers this right is definitely right yeah. yeah. What do you guys think about the difference between side one and side two? Just a I, I saw some discussion of that, that um, Robert Christgau apparently liked side one and hated side two. I don't really, you know, and the problem, here's the problem, is that we all have heard lots and lots and lots and lots of Roxy Music songs, and that if you never had heard Roxy Music and you heard this record, then you could say, okay, well, maybe we understand the difference. Oh, there's some huge dichotomy that's going on there. But to me, it's just like, oh, well, this this is the Roxy song that is like these other Roxy music songs that are all great. Mm-hmm. This right. is just you the first time. Line. That, right. that, yeah, that, that, that it appears. You, we don't have the benefit of not knowing. What do you think, Rob? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I see exactly what Barry's saying is, yeah, is what I'm thinking. Like for this next one, for Would You Believe, it's, you could hear a little bit of the the delicate, like crooner rock that he would do, that they would do later. When it became more, it it seems like it became more and more his band, you know, and you could hear that in this next song, but then it kind of morphs into a 50s like type vamp as well <laughs> right uh, well, let's listen to that one yeah would, would you, you believe, believe?
Yeah, that guy's kind of whack. I will say there is there is some <laughs> there is some great drumming. There is some great drumming on this. That yeah, he really roll. pulls there. it. Yeah, into he he brings those two disparate pieces together. Yes. Um, and I'm gonna say that um, Iggy and David Bowie absolutely 100% ripped off um, the beginning of this song for um, China Girl. Or the feeling uh-huh. of the song, or there's right. an Iggy song that's got that saxophone in it, and I go, God damn, it's right there. Um, oh, uh, tonight? Maybe yes. Maybe there's, tonight. Yeah, yeah, it's in there, and I'm like, God, they yeah, didn't yeah. ashamed. And I'm gonna put it up on Bowie because you know he'll just take stuff and be like, Oh, that sounds good. Um, let's like, let's, have let's that. do that. Yes. I'll, I'll well, take an interesting it. fact about this album and. Relates to what you're saying, but this album came out two weeks after Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, right. And uh, so this was the uh, environment that uh, that they were. Well, you sent in me a list. You, you sent me this uh, incredible list of records that came out in 1972. Oh yeah, and it was. Yeah. Uh, you want me to find that? Mind blowing. The the records that came out in 1972. It was a year that just you know, um, unparalleled in the records that uh were were um incredibly influential that that just dropped that year yeah, let me see when i was Can in I second grade that? at Killarney elementary oh yes yeah. oh, yeah. so it was uh, exile on main street rise and fall of ziggy stardust uh talking book by steve wonder machine head by deep purple harvest by neil young superfly Curtis mayfield Something Anything, Todd Rundgren, Eat a Peach, The Almond Brothers, I'm Still in Love with You, Al Green, Honky Chateau by Elton John, The World is a Ghetto by War, Close to the Edge by Yes, Thick as a Brick by Tall, Can't Buy a Thrill by Steely Dan, Made in Japan by Deep Purple, Heart of They Come, Paul Simon's first album, Transformer, Backstabbers, Let's Stay Together by Al Green, the number one record by Big Star, Still Away. Oh, wow. wow. I mean, Roxy you could made- do, you, we could say, okay, Everybody, going forward, <laughs> we're going to cancel all the shows. We're going to reschedule everything. We're just going to do... 1972. 1972. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's but Yeah, this song is... To me, this is the only song that sounds like it could have been written, recorded in 1972 with that uh, kind of 50s throwback thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, right. yeah. The, the, the and Little I think Richard, a, New Orleans rock and roll yeah, thing. Yeah, it's totally, yeah, totally uh, doo-wop-y and yakety sax. But, yes. Yeah. All right. Somebody so, pointed out in one of these uh, interviews, like Eno was always kind of looking forward uh, into the future, and Ferry was always kind of looking back. Definitely. Right. So this is where, and, and just a, a criticism of Brian Ferry, and I have no right to criticize anyone's singing voice, but he cannot sing that high part. He's way out of his range. <laughs> way out Poor of his Brian. Range. But he's given it the he's given it the <laughs> effort. Old he's putting try. in there. They will call it try. So let's move forward to the next track, which is the epic. I would say it's the album's epic. Uh, yes. And it's almost this one's almost like schizophrenic in its mood shifts. Yeah. Uh, and it's listen. seven minutes long. All right. Let's listen to a little bit of Sea Breezes. Ashamed, ashamed, 
Good Lord. Oh, that is a beautiful verse. Um, I, I don't know what to say. It's To me, that that's a template for a lot of Roxy songs, too. Just the beautiful uh, piano intro with the heartbreaking melody. It is. Well, the, yeah, a lot of Roxy songs start with him playing some figure on a um, an electric piano. Um, right. And that's kind of a... Um, a cue that you're going to hear a Roxy music song is that, that there's this, there's this, you know, Oh, here, this is, there's that thing, the Brian Ferry, he's playing those notes and off we go. And it's, um, <laughs> all right. So I, we didn't get to hear the, the bass, which I think I mentioned oh, okay. might be out of, out of tune. It's a uh, second part. Let's have a listen to that. think that that's intentional the uh, um sort of yes i think he's too good to be that bad okay all right we're, we're gonna give him the credit uh the benefit <laughs> maybe, of the doubt maybe a fretless maybe could he be playing it like, i think right. it's i think it's a, a, a bass that he's playing really up high on the neck and mm-hmm. um it's got flat wound strings and it's not um <laughs> the it's, next little out of it's, 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 it's He didn't not, bring it to that guy in, in Hollywood to get it. The he did not take it to Spencer. <laughs> Spencer Mallinson did not um <laughs> did not set it up properly. He did not. Um, um, I think I think that uh, Graham Simpson is is trying to like uh, do like a discordant dissonant okay. counterpoint to well, the to the, to the melody of it. Well, yeah, why should uh, Manzanera be the only one that's allowed to do that? Which, by the way, <laughs> his guitar at the end of this song is bonkers, like towards the end. We don't have time playing. to play that one. <laughs> no, Barry, can, <laughs> you know, perhaps you haven't listened to the show, but Barry plays music underneath sometimes. Like, right, yeah, 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 that's right. We will. Um, I we have will. listened to every episode probably since. You have, you have, the that's pulp. true. But there's a great verse in here um, that I love that uh, in the middle of this very serious song, um, in that kind of German umpa section, uh, (laughs) let me quote this uh, little couplet that he writes. He says, "Uh, thought train set in motion and wheel spin round and round, express our emotion, tracks up and it cracks down. Yeah. So in the middle of this serious song, he's making dad jokes about trains. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a dad joke. You're right. You're right. 
That's good. But it also yeah. contains, I think, one of the most beautiful lines on the record um, that says, hoping help would come from above, but even angels there make the same mistakes. Yes. Love. Yeah. 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 See, that's that's his sweet spot, which he did. He did more of later on. He's is able to write like uh, lovely little uh, couplets like that. You know. Yes. It's yeah. And Susie and the Banshees covered this song. Speaking of covers. Oh yeah, Susie. Actually, Susie and the Banshees. That whole uh, they have an album of covers, and it's actually really good. They do. Uh, oh, Dear Prudence is awesome. Yeah, uh, they do great covers, and um, uh, This Wheel's on Fire, and uh, a Passenger. The the Passenger. They do true, a great true. cover of the Passenger. Oh yes, definitely good stuff. Um, all right, so now we get the final. This this song's really. I, I this is a great ending song of the record. I think <laughs> uh, it is because it's very tongue in cheek. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, it's uh, they're yes. satirizing. You could tell that he he loves that do up 50s do up thing, but they're satirizing it also at the same time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. And into uh, compromise, Rob, I asked Barry to just play the whole fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, it's only two minutes long. Whatever uh, you need to do. Here we go. Bitter's end. At last, the crimson cold cascade. To shower dry cold eyes while there Too late to leave the chocolate Their fountains using both While destiny prepares to fly The farmyard calls sings its wake Upstanding anthem to the sky It's 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 laughable, but it's also beautiful. It is beautiful, and also I'm glad. I don't want to play the end because I want to hear you. I want you to recite the last the last verse, Steve, because <laughs> I want to see how you pronounce. <laughs> oh yes, well you have to pronounce it the fairy wake. You have that's, what I'm, that's, right, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's like I wasn't what, sure what how to pronounce it. Farewell, drink. Note his reaction as it shot. He's getting Should it make the cognizant thing. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, you did it perfectly. It's yeah. the best ending line of. <laughs> it is. And now we know crazy. we've been we, we've been mispronouncing cognizanti that wrong. Co- what is it? How does he say it? Cognizanti. That's yeah. wrong. I'm telling you. It's I'm Italian. Telling you that, I'm telling you that the British people it's Brian mis- they mispronounce words from foreign languages wrong intentionally to intentionally to basically crap on the other <laughs> to crap on the Italians and to crap on the French they mispronounce <laughs> words in French and Italian that could be you could be right that yeah, could be valid they own them that's true but it's a that's beautiful true. ending to as silly as the song is it's it's still a beautiful it is. melody I think it's is a beautiful ending to a great record and uh steve of course uh, we kid steve but steve is a you you are a great guest steve and you're a great fan of the show and uh, steve i want to announce that you did come up with uh, barry we discussed this 
briefly, but I, we could make an official announcement now. Our next uh, patron-curated episode was an idea that Steve came up with, and he said, how about the song you would want played at your own funeral? Oh, I've got so that. So we're oh, going to do yeah, sure. that, exit, that, <laughs> that exit music got me high will be the next patron-curated yes. oh, that's episode. That's right. Well, it's yeah. going to be bitter's end for it's, me. It's going to be a string, of, a string of Gigi Allen classics from all of our yeah, listeners. Right. <laughs> No, no, it's fine. And and birthday, this is your birthday episode because we'll, we'll wish you happy yeah, birthday. Yeah, it'll drop now. on my birthday. I'll be uh, at this point, and whenever time you drop it, hopefully I will be well into my third cider. Yes. And I appreciate you uh, manipulating the schedule and for Tim so that. Anything for anything for yeah. Steve Mitchner. And uh, so next week, then we are going to do uh, a Galaxy 500 today with the aforementioned Tim. How do you pronounce his name? Tim, Tim Hindley or Hindley? Okay. Yeah. And how do you know Tim? Uh, Tim I met online. He is, uh, you know, obviously a long time uh, fanzine dude with Daggerzine. And, um, he reached out to me a couple of years ago to do a, uh, a brief interview about my um, quote unquote career in rock. And, um, yeah. Which appeared in, in Dagger. But uh, we just, you know, he lived in Portland. He moved to Portland like a, shortly before I moved into Portland. Um, but we just know a lot of the same people. And he's just a, a funny guy, great. Uh, great personality and uh, obviously knows a ton about music so I'm really looking forward to hearing about one of my favorite records Galaxy 500 which uh, another band that opened for us and went on to be much bigger yeah ah, well you know it, it happens it happens, it happens. <laughs> constantly <laughs> but but no one in that band has gotten to be a, a guest but like a four time guest on that record got me high so you know yeah, they'd all make they'd all make great guests I'm gonna Priorities. put I'm gonna put in quotes gotten to be yeah no one has <laughs> they haven't gotten to be that's right um alright so don't forget uh, YouTube can become like uh, Steve Mitchner you can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com forward slash trgmh and uh follow us on all your you know social media crap right barry if, yeah. if they want to if, if they want to email us barry where what's the best email hey assholes at that record got me high.com once again that's hey assholes just like it sounds at that record got me high.com there you go <laughs> all right thank you steve once again it's always fun having you on thank uh you happy 60th birthday great. Yes, happy birthday. And happy Thanksgiving. Yes, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. We will see you guys next week. That is Barry Stock. That is Rob Elba. And that is Steve Mitchell. Steve Mitchell. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you guys next week. We're out.
Don't come around, it's not October anymore 